Welcome to Side Projects. Yes. Welcome to Side Projects. I like that. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. I was like, instead of like thinking about how Calvin Ball, which is like a game Calvin and Hobbes play, that the only rules are like there are no rules and that you can't ever play the same way twice. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, that would uh, make so me like, like stop. My my <laughs> eyes would just like roll back in my head and I wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> ah, does not compute. But- <laughs> but like for me I was like instead of being reminded of what that childhood felt like I was like using it to help structure my childhood. <laughs> I, like, yes. I do like these rules. <laughs> That's awesome. Um oh. Yeah, it was like the little kid version of Fight Club, I guess. <laughs> but way less dark. It's like the first rule is you don't talk about it. It's like the first rule is there is no rule. Uh <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> it means everything that you want it to mean. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so welcome to Side Projects, a repository of inspiration and information. Both of us do, you know, a fair amount of reading and there are some little sections of books or like an article or something that I think would be nice and fun to share with people who are interested in the same things we're interested in. And then you were saying earlier um, in a conversation that maybe it could also serve as a space for like announcing that a craft school is doing something or opening something up or even, you know, like a scholarship is available to someone or something. So I think this is just kind of like a nice little, I don't know, message board maybe for yeah stuff like that. Various maybe. things. No rules. Uh, <laughs> yes. No rules. It's like Calvin ball. Um. <laughs> Calvin ball. We should call it Calvin ball. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just bring a lawsuit de- raining down on our head from my right. personal hero. Right, right. <laughs> yes, I think that's perfect. So I guess first order of business is if you are listening to this on behalf of a craft school or have some association with one and have announcements that you'd like made, let us know and we can put it in the next side projects and let the masses know. <laughs> or actually, I would just like to know, too, because maybe I want to come take a class. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I feel like um, there's this hidden agenda between us. It's just like, we'll, we'll just yes. <laughs> get to know every craft that we're interested in. And then also people will start telling us stuff. It'll be amazing. Yes. The candle makers. <laughs> yeah. What are your secrets? What are the ratios? <laughs> You're right. Wax to wick. We need to know. <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh, I think I um, snorted just yes. a little bit. <laughs> I'm not cutting that out. Okay. For the first side projects, uh, or we wanted to share a piece of an article with you that we found inspiring mm-hmm. by one Mr. Bruce Metcalf, who is a studio jeweler and writer. The article that we wanted to share with you is titled, Amy. The Hand at the Heart of Craft. Ooh, yes. And don't forget the colon after the hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much to Bruce for letting us, I guess, hopefully we're on a first name basis now after our, like two emails. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, thank you so much for letting us use a piece of your article. If anyone's interested, it was actually published in American Craft Magazine, August to September 2000, volume 60, number four. You can also access it just through his website, Bruce, B 
B-R-U-C-E, Metcalf, M-E-T-C-A-L-F.com under the writings tab. And he has that and a ton of other articles and things that he's written. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really great stuff. I don't know if you had this experience, Amy, but it was sort of like weird when I was reading it, uh, having somebody put towards like a feeling where I was like mm-hmm. reading how I felt about something. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. that's not a crazy concept, but it was just kind of weird being like, yeah, that is what that feels like. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that that's exactly right. And I think it's interesting because that probably points to some of the things he talks about in it, which I'm going to read several pages, I guess, of the the article where it's like he talks about different types of intelligences and to, to have your feeling, which is one of the intelligences actually put to words is really validating. And so I think that that's exactly, <laughs> exactly yes. what he's talking about <laughs> and spot on. Cool. Yeah. And, uh, and as Amy mentioned, we're just reading an excerpt. I mean, the article covers so much more than what mm-hmm. we're about to share with you. I think it's like 18 pages. So there's mm-hmm. a whole lot more going on in here, uh, but hopefully it'll be enough to whet your appetite. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say one last thing. I hope you all are excited to be able to just totally immerse yourself in Amy's smooth radio voice. (laughs) (laughs) So I am going to start reading, kind of starting in the middle of the article. So there are, you know, he, he builds up to this and then there are lots of other points after this excerpt from the article. So Yes, kind of a spoiler alert, but not really. It's more just like a cool art alert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are a lot of other interesting <laughs> points that he makes. So we don't want to just give the impression that we just sort of swept through the article and picked out, like cherry picked. <laughs> <laughs> so without further ado. The Hand at the Heart of Craft by Bruce Metcalf. Recent theories about divisions of functions and the human brain offer a useful explanation for the hand's special status. Howard Gardner, a professor at Harvard University, has proposed that the human brain encompasses at least six discrete types of intelligence. While the categories themselves are fictions, they denote real properties of the brain. Linguistic intelligence and logical mathematical intelligence are the capacities measured by IQ tests and the like, and almost exclusively form the Western conception of mental power. But Gardner further proposes musical intelligence, spatial intelligence, personal intelligence, which governs social and introspective skills, and bodily kinesthetic intelligence. He also proposes that all these distinct intelligences are equal, as all of them are equally rooted in brain structure and function. It's an interesting view because Gardner would revise the standard hierarchy of mind over body and thought over physical labor. In the end, he's undermining classical Western metaphysics. The evidence for bodily kinesthetic intelligence is founded, again, in the study of brain-damaged individuals. To support his separation of bodily intelligence from other types of cognition, Gardner cites various motor control disorders caused by selective left hemisphere injuries. Brain-damaged individuals have shown impairment of the ability to dress, to carry out verbal commands, or to sequentially execute certain directions, in spite of their being in good physical condition and in spite of having understood the directions. In general, these disabilities are known as apraxias, marked by an absence of dexterity. 
Gardner also cites examples of severely autistic children who show extraordinary motor control or a gifted understanding of mechanical principles. Gardner says bodily intelligence is marked by the ability to use one's body in highly differentiated and skilled ways for expressive as well as goal-directed purposes. Characteristic as well is the capacity to work skillfully with objects, both those that involve the fine motor movements of one's fingers and hands and those that exploit gross motor movements of the body. Bodily kinesthetic intelligence is manifested in the skill of the athlete, the dancer, the mime, and the craftsperson. All crafts demand exceptional motor control, from the rapid dexterity demanded by glass blowing to the subtle coordination required in weaving. Bodily intelligence can thus be seen as a biological and cognitive foundation to all craft practice. The various intelligences that Gardner proposes are genetically determined, that is to say, inherited, but unevenly distributed throughout the population. Different people will have different mixes of intelligence, and I think this fact explains a great deal about why certain people are drawn to handwork. Every craft teacher is familiar with the pattern of students taking an introductory studio course. A few might have some experience with crafts, but for most students, the medium and processes are completely unfamiliar. The majority suffer through the course, get an adequate grade at the end of the semester, and never return. But an occasional student, maybe 1 in 30 or 1 in 40, undergoes a transformation. Like everyone else, she puts her hands on the material, she pushes it around, she gets a product. But unlike the majority, she recognizes something in the business of putting her hands on a material and manipulating it. She awakens. A light goes on. And suddenly she's motivated. She's hungry for more. She takes the next course and the next. Maybe she switches her major. And just maybe she changes her life and starts down the road to becoming a woodworker, a glassblower, a potter, or a jeweler. What happens is this. A person who has a strong bodily kinesthetic intelligence tuned to fine motor skills and good spatial intelligence will feel very comfortable working with her hands. The student discovers that the work, the physical labor, conforms to a pre-existing complex of latent abilities and her innate mix of intelligences finally finds a means of expression. Many of these new converts never really knew they had such a gift, because their education never provided an opportunity to work with their hands. Of course, this poverty of experience is an indictment of the state of public education. As usual, verbal and mathematical intelligence get all the attention, and all the others get little or nothing. Bodily kinesthetic intelligence seems to be much more finely divided than even Gardner imagines. Anyone who is taught in a craft department recognizes that students intuitively gravitate to different mediums. When I taught at Kent State University, we once had identical twins enter the art school. Most people couldn't tell the two apart, and they were inseparable at first. They took a wide range of introductory courses together, but one settled in ceramics and the other in jewelry. The clay major couldn't stand the stiffness and resistance of metal. 
and the jewelry major couldn't stand the mud. I can't imagine those aversions were learned. They seemed completely intuitive. In the craft world, it's widely known that there are clay people, glass people, fibers people, and metals people. Even within mediums, there is room for different sensibilities. There are jewelers and silversmiths and blacksmiths. There are throwers and hand builders. There are hot glass and cold glass people. Each person is responding to some innate predisposition for a particular material and a particular way of working it. While I doubt there is one gene for weavers and another for basket makers, I suspect that each different way of working conforms to a complicated blend of mental modules that varies wildly from one individual to the next. There's also a powerful emotional change that comes with finding one's work. As one of the subjects of Frank Wilson's book puts it, finding her true vocation opened the closed box in my soul that I never knew I had. I can bear witness to that feeling. In 1970, I was a lost boy, a typical hippie rebel without a cause. I grew my hair long. I was doing lots of mind-altering drugs. I was having all sorts of friction with my dad. In college, I was becoming more and more disengaged from my studies because the courses seemed utterly irrelevant to my interests and desires. At the same time, I didn't have the foggiest idea what I really wanted to do. My friends would say, you need to find yourself, but would offer no advice on how to accomplish such a thing. That summer, I departed in my Chevy van for California, never expecting to return. Well, as things turned out, I did return, and I went back to college that fall for a final try. For no good reason, I signed up for a jewelry class, and it changed my life. Suddenly, I found an adult activity that was completely satisfying and engaging, challenging, and comprehensive. Pretty much by accident, I found my true vocation. All I wanted to do was work in the jewelry studio. I felt like I had found a home. The experience gave me a motivation that has lasted 30 years. That's strong stuff, and it had everything to do with using my hands. I found a discipline that allowed my own mix of intelligences bodily and otherwise, to bloom and prosper. And I think every craftsman and woman has had a similar experience. The excitement of awakening to one's own gifts is nothing more than an introduction, the first chapter to a long, long book. All students of craft undergo a period of training and practice. There's so much to learn and so many skills to perfect. It turns out that becoming skillful actually changes the brain. Think of a violinist playing scales. The idea is to make the operation so familiar that it can be performed flawlessly without thinking. This is not a simple operation. Like catching a ball, it involves activating many different muscles in a very precise sequence. Playing scales also involves a feedback loop. The musician listens to each note to make sure it's on key and corrects as required. After some time, it becomes automatic. In fact, neural pathways in the brain are altered with consistent practice. Inside the brain, learning a series of movements consists of groups of neurons firing in a certain sequence. As learning progresses, this circuit can be made to fire with less effort, which means that the movements are performed faster and more easily. 
Research also shows that neuronal firing in other parts of the brain simultaneously decreases, so practice makes the brain more efficient in two different ways. Sometimes an innate gift can eliminate some of the frustration of slow learning. For instance, I learned to raise sheet metal into vessel forms quite easily. I couldn't explain it, but the hammering seemed natural to me. On the other hand, my gift is limited. I'm no damn good at throwing clay or blowing glass. I simply don't comprehend materials that droop. Anybody who has endured an apprenticeship to a craft knows that high-level craft work is built on a foundation of dedication, self-discipline, and patience. There will be plenty of failures and adjustments before one gains an adequate level of skill, and mastering some techniques takes years, even decades. It requires motivation to complete the training, and motivation is located strictly in the realm of emotion. I believe that it's the emotions associated with labor that sustain craftspeople. The psychologist Mihai Csikszentmihalyi offers a number of insights about the nature of satisfying action, all of which pertain to handwork. He describes a type of pleasurable action he calls flow. Activities that induce flow have clear goals. They are challenging but not impossible to complete. They provide immediate feedback and they are characterized by a deep state of concentration that is set apart from everyday experience. Csikszentmihalyi says, the combination of all these elements causes a deep sense of enjoyment that is so rewarding people feel that expending a great deal of energy is worthwhile simply to be able to feel it. In other words, the secret of contentment is absorbed work. Csikszentmihalyi starts his analysis by saying that most flow states require actions bounded by rules and that demand skill. The activity can't be so simple as to become boring, nor so complex as to result in failure, frustration, or anxiety. The skill, earned only through practice and training, ensures that the individual has the tools needed to rise to the challenge. Of course, the threshold of boredom will rise as a person becomes more skilled, so flow requires complexity that increases correspondingly. Csikszentmihalyi is adamant that reaching the flow state demands skill. He says, although the flow experience appears to be effortless, it is far from being so. It often requires strenuous physical exertion or highly disciplined mental activity. It does not happen without the application of skilled performance. When I read that passage, I underlined it and drew two exclamation points in the margin. As much as anything, he was talking about skilled handwork. The clear goals, rules, and immediate feedback that Csikszentmihalyi cited are the psychological foundations of craft. The goals of craft are obvious, making an object. The rules of craft are the technical processes, which set clear parameters about how an object may or may not be made. As for immediate feedback, some crafts offer quick results, the way throwing on the potter's wheel can produce a form in a matter of minutes. Most crafts are slow, but they all have their own rhythms. These patterns serve to mark out progress towards completion and offer the direct feedback Csikszentmihalyi mentions. The silversmith completes a round of hammer blows. A complete set of rounds adds up to a single course. 
which is then punctuated with bojing and annealing. An experienced smith will note the success of each strike of the hammer, each round, each course, and feel a measure of satisfaction in every one. Every experienced craftsman knows how his craft can be broken down into parts, and he knows the pleasure of slow but steady work. The importance of emotion to craft, the way people feel about their chosen work, cannot be underestimated. When people call themselves weavers, potters, jewelers, or enamelists, they're not just talking about material and techniques. They are identifying themselves. The words point to an emotional bond between the person and the work. Serious craftspeople don't just manipulate threads on a loom or turn boards into chairs. He is a weaver. She is a woodworker. This loyalty to medium is one of the defining characteristics of craft. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, isn't it? It's so good. I really love the part. I mean, the thing that first stuck out to me is just the bodily kinesthetic intelligence or just the different mm-hmm. types of intelligences I felt like kind of blew my mind the first time I read that. Mm-hmm. But the part especially that gets me, and I know we've talked about it a little bit before we started uh, the official reading, was just that part where he's sort of having a person undergoing that transformation when they first are exposed to the craft. Yeah. Just totally brings me back to the first time I made a book. And I was like, oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) What is this feeling? Yeah. (laughs) So many feelings. Uh. (laughs) Very interesting. I think it would be nice. I hesitate to sort of get into this sort of thing. But I just, I wish that those different intelligences were identified in folks a little bit earlier or just sort of made available to kids, you know, as they're growing up. Definitely. Because how would you even know when you're a kid that you're you're like a handwork person? Like you experience the world physically and emotionally through, you know, your body. Um Yeah, totally. And wouldn't it be more it would be so cool if we all all of us hand workers were able to really delve into that as an earlier in an earlier part of our lives. I think it's kind of it's probably kind of a privilege to be able to do that because for me, like I said, you know, when we were talking in the first episode, it was like I started carving when I was a child, you know. And I'm not I'm not saying that like I'm somehow like light years above everybody else because I'm definitely not, but like I always <laughs> knew that that was, I always knew that there was something I could do. It was like, oh, I, I like doing this and it's fun and I can spend all my time doing that. And I can't imagine that not being available to me. No, absolutely. I kind of tried to make it happen uh, for myself, just in, mm-hmm. mostly in the form of walking sticks, even though like the only place <laughs> I had to walk was like between one parking lot to another. <laughs> <laughs> but I was obsessed with walking sticks. I would spend hours and hours and hours just stripping the bark off of sticks to like walk around my backyard in. Oh or my with. gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> um, but no, I know what you mean. And I think it, it does. It's kind of interesting though, because in some sense it it makes that like when that aha moment happens, like as just part of your childhood, you might just take it for granted in a sense. Mm-hmm. For you, it was like carving and working with wood was always something that was available to you. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like this crazy special thing that 
I don't, I mean, I'm, I know I'm speaking for you here and maybe mm-hmm. I'm wrong, but it was sort of just like, oh yeah, like everyone can wood carve. Like that's just right. like <laughs> part of my reality. Yeah. And like, yeah. Uh, whereas for me, it was when, not until I was in my undergrad and I finally met the right person who was willing to share their information and everything that it, mm-hmm. then I had the opportunity and had that sort of experience as like a young adult to mm-hmm. have my mind blown by like have experienced that transformation um like what bruce is talking about in the article mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but obviously there are so many problems with the educational system that we are not going to solve on this podcast right absolutely <laughs> oh. yeah and it's also not there's no criticism of teachers either because yes. i grew up everybody yeah. in my family's a teacher so i know what that's like <laughs> my my dad was a middle school science teacher oh really Katie's mom was a fourth grade teacher. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Educators. Oh, so we've, yeah, we both come from uh, education families. I mean, and it just, it does kind of remind me of, um, I have a friend, Wyatt Seavers, who mm-hmm. is a woodworker and a very sweet person. And I really, really respect and admire how much he stresses the importance of like uh, teaching little kids crafts. Mm-hmm. And, um, and specifically, he does a lot of wood turning. And so he has like a zillion little tiny lathes. Oh. <laughs> he teaches kids how to like just do like basic turning. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, but yeah, oh, so adorable. I was like that because I think there are a lot of maybe a lot more people out there who would be able to have that experience a lot sooner and like kind of fast track mm-hmm. their, you know, skill acquisition. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's good because so many craftspeople we've had on the show talk about the process because we're like well why do you like to do what you do and then you're like well I like the process <laughs> and then we sort of <laughs> go on to the next question and here's someone who's writing about what it is that's happening you know what are the mechanics of the process what's happening yeah. in your brain um totally and so i'm sure there are other craft um writers who maybe have differing opinions maybe not i don't know um but Hopefully we'll run across those folks. And if anyone has a suggestion for someone they think has, you know, an influence on thought and craft or an article or something like that, we'd love to hear from you. So send us an email at cutthecraftpodcast at gmail.com. next side projects we are going to do a listener response uh and the theme is going to be what do you do when you're not feeling it or like how do you push through when you're just in a complete and utter state of lack of motivation yeah right so i mean for example do you just keep your head down and plow through it do you do what amy does (laughs) amy would you tell us what you do (laughs) um i start organizing everything that I own and put everything through a rigorous do I need it can it be recycled sold or given to a donation center (laughs) (laughs) that that ends up like messing up my whole house because everything is pulled out of every little cubby and it goes through this like (laughs) cycle And this happens all the time. And I've been doing it since I was a little teeny girl. My mom would come back to the room, my room and everything I own, like pulled out on the floor. And she'd be like, are you organizing your closet again? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Mostly I just walk around and mope. 
and uh, <laughs> become an unbearable presence in the house because I'm used to normally operating in a state of high energy and high inspiration. Uh-huh. And then anytime I don't experience that, I'm like, what is the world coming to? <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah, immediate like existential crisis. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Another option is maybe you bake a dozen cookies and you eat them all and you cry yourself to sleep. Yeah, I don't I don't do that. I don't bake. That would probably be a more productive use of my time other than rather than just moping around. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Mm. And also, uh, you don't have to be a full-time craftsperson or whatever to participate. You, we're just interested in hearing what people do to plow through it. Yeah. Amy, how can they submit their responses? Well, Brian, they can email us <laughs> <laughs> at cutthecraftpodcast at gmail.com. And then, of course, as always, we'd just love to thank all of our patrons on Patreon for helping support the show, the patreon.com slash cutthecraftpodcast. And then thank you also for those of you uh, who've bought a t-shirt pre-order. Um, we're still trying to fill the minimum requirement. But we're getting closer. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I, we have had some people like international orders and we're happy to ship internationally. Um, we just didn't know exactly since we don't have the t-shirts in hand, like in little boxes, like how much the international shipping was, but we're happy to do that. So just send us an email and we'll get you figured out. <laughs> Thank y'all so much for tuning in to our first side projects. Coming up next, we have our interview with Tim Manny. So hopefully this will hold you over until then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we look forward to receiving all the emails. So we're going to get. <laughs> <laughs>